the devil and his strategy and how to overcome him. So I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 of chapter 12. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. Now, my professor at preaching at Southwestern said that you ought to be able to preach your sermon in one sentence. Boy, I bet you wish. (laughs) Oh, if you only could see that happen. There is one sentence today that that describes the theme of chapter 11 of the Revelation, and it's this, that our God and His Christ and His people are always the object of satanic opposition, but are destined to triumph over every foe. Now the theme again is this, that our God and His Christ and His people are always the object of satanic opposition, but are destined to triumph over every foe. It's always been like this. If you reread chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, that marvelous account of the creation, and God places this innocent pair in this marvelous garden, unblemished by sin, what a glorious estate. They saw what no human eye has ever seen before or since. But as you read chapters 1 and 2, you can just sense an evil presence lurking in the shadows. And you say, how do you you mean that? Well, I think that the reason God tells us that man was created from the dust is to remind us of our human frailty, subject to the adversary. You can just sense the presence of an evil one lurking in the shadows. And as you look at the foreground of that marvelous picture, in the background, hardly visible, is the image of one lurking in the shadows. And he came into the garden. And the text says, the scripture says, that he completely deceived Eve, and she sinned against God. And the fall occurred. And God curses the serpent, and a part of that curse was that there would be enmity between him and the woman's seed. And he would bruise the seed of the woman and bruise his heel, and the seed of the woman would bruise his head. And that prophecy is this, that 
that he would always wage war with the Christ and his people, his seed. And one day he would wound this seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would deal him a death blow. And that prophecy was fulfilled at the cross. For he was wounded for our transgressions, and yet he dealt Satan a death blow there, and he was told he is a defeated foe. And the author of the book of the Revelation says that he has only a short time to do his work. I guess that's why he works so hard. Now the aim of Satan is threefold. He first is his purpose is to oppose those who would serve God. In Zechariah, the third chapter, it says that Joshua, the high priest, appeared before God and Satan was at his right hand to resist him. Anytime you try to serve God, anytime you get serious about being a Christian, he resists you and opposes you. That's why it's always so easy to find some reason not to pray. And that's why it's always so easy to find some excuse for not reading the Scripture or coming to church. He resists us who try to serve Him. And secondly, He is here to deceive. The Scripture in my text I read calls Him the great deceiver. Jesus said He is, the, he is a liar and the father of lies and He never tells the truth. And Paul says that He comes masquerading as an angel of light. Clothed in light, mask in beauty, radiant in, in, in charm, He comes to deceive us. And the Scripture says that He totally deceived Eve. Dr. Jowett says, If He were to come with chains to bind us, we could steadily resist His approach. But He comes with garlands to crown us, and we are victims of His charm. And He bribes us with money and power, and He entices us with visions of success and enlargement. And we are dazzled by His brilliance. He is a great deceiver. And He comes to accuse us. That's the third aspect of His work. He is the great accuser. He accuses God to man. That's who whispers in your ear, If God really loved you, He'd, not never, he'd never let this happen to you. And he accuses man to man. That's why there is jealousy and arguments and quarrels and church splits. But he accuses man to God. He accuses your conscience before God and he brings up your past. He never, let, he never will let you forget it. And even though your sins are buried in a sea of forgetfulness, he never lets you forget them. Every time someone attempts to, to serve God, every movement toward revival meets the opposition of the, of the devil. Evans Roberts was used of God in the great revival in Wales. I suppose that the only thing close to a great awakening in this century was the revival in Wales. And Evans Roberts was used of God mightily in that. In his book, The War of the Saints, he writes, quote, The supernatural forces of Satan are the true hindrance of every spiritual movement. The power of God went forth in Wales with all the marks of Pentecost, but was kept and hindered from going on to its intended purpose by the same influx of evil spirits that met the Lord Christ on earth and the apostles of the early church with the difference 
that the inroad of the powers of darkness found the Christians of the 20th century, with few exceptions, unable to recognize and deal with them. Evil spirits' possession has followed and checked every similar revival throughout the centuries since Pentecost. And these things must now be understood and dealt with if the church is to advance to maturity. Amen. He opposes and he accuses. Now the early saints believed that every failure and every moral lapse and every disappointment and every doubt and every discouragement could be traced to the enticement of the evil one. Robert Louis Stevenson once said, you know that Caledonian Railroad Station in Edinburgh? One cold wintry morning I met Satan there. He didn't tell us what happened, but those of us who have met him have an idea. Martin Luther said, I often debated with Satan as I translated the Old Testament into German. And one day that debate became so fierce that Martin Luther picked up a well, inkwell, and hurled it at him. And Miller Jenkins, who was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Abilene, quote, wrote in his book, quote, I woke up terribly frightened. It wasn't a nightmare. I wasn't dreaming. I broke out in a cold sweat. And all I could do was cry out, Jesus! And I was conscious of the exit of an evil presence. The early saints believed that every failure and every sin could be traced back to the enticement of the evil one. But you and I don't believe that, do we? I mean, we live in an enlightened age that does not believe in demons and evil spirits and a personal devil, do we? Perhaps the greatest deception of all is for him to get us to believe that there is no devil. Now if God and His Christ and His people are always the object of a satanic opposition, but are destined to triumph over every foe, what is the secret of that triumph or victory? Our text says that the victory has three elements to it. We overcome, he said, first of all, by the death of the Lamb. Now the blood of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ, is the ground of every victory we accomplish. And there is no victory this morning possible, would be possible, apart from the fact that Jesus died at Calvary. 1 John 5 says that He came, He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He came to die to destroy His works. And I was reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul was talking about the wisdom of God by which He confounded the mighty. He said He uses the base things to confound the strong, and He uses the weak things to confound the mighty. And then he says in verse 8, listen, he says, If they, that is, the enemies of God, had known that the death of Jesus would be the defeat of Satan, they never would have crucified him. And he said, if Satan had known that the death of Jesus at the cross would accomplish victory for him, he never would have orchestrated his death. For the whole world thought that when Jesus died, he was defeated. 
Now, you and I oftentimes ridicule the disciples for fleeing and going back home and starting fishing again. But what would you have done? If you had pinned your hopes on Christ as the Savior of the world and you had been eyewitness to His, to His death, what would you have done? We would have done the same thing. For the whole world thought that when Jesus was crucified, He was defeated. The exact opposite is true. In the death of Jesus Christ, He accomplished victory. He accomplished His defeat. Now you ask, how does the death, the blood of the Lamb accomplish victory for us? Two ways. First of all, because it gives His blood gives us access to the throne. There could be no access to the throne of grace apart from the blood of Christ. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, Now, therefore, by His blood, we are to come with confidence to the throne and find mercy for our failure and grace for our help in time of need. And he means by that that whenever you're doubted and whenever you're tempted and whenever you're discouraged, you have access to God's throne and grace for help because of His blood. And because of His blood, He cleanses us of every sin of which Satan accuses us. And he does accuse us. Not long ago I was visiting with a lady who has a life-threatening disease. And I suppose that when you have a life-threatening disease, you're more conscious of the, of the brevity of life and the frailty of human life. And she was saying, Brother Gerald, in the kitchen the other day, he came and assaulted me. And he said to me, Ah, you're not good enough for heaven. Look at all that you've done and all you have failed to do. And she said, Brother Gerald, all I could do was just call on the name of the Lord. He does accuse us. And he comes before God, listen to me, and he says, This man is unworthy. Gerald Tidwell is unworthy. Look at all these broken vows. Look at all these failed promises. Look at all of this sin. I accuse him on the basis of this sin. I accuse him. And in the gallery among the holy angels, one stands. And when he stands, everything gets silent. And they look at those nails in his hand. And he approaches the throne and he says, Father, it is true, every sin of which he's accused is correct. He's guilty of every one and some the devil doesn't even know about. And he's not worthy to, of heaven. It is true, he is guilty. But at Calvary's cross, I died for him. And he appropriated that blood. And so, Father, I plead his case this morning. I plead not on the basis of his innocence. I plead on the basis of my blood. It is true, he's guilty. But I plead on the basis of what I've done for him. And now there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. For His blood cleanses us of every sin of which we're accused. We overcome by the death of the Lamb. And we overcome by the declaration of His Word. Now it is true that His death is the ground of every victory. But that is ours only in potential. We have to make that real for ourselves. And when he says by the word of his testimony, he means that we give testimony that we stand upon his word. 
Now, it may be that you don't feel saved. That has nothing to do with it. It may be that you look back on your life and you can't find point of time, some great experience that has nothing to do with it. You stand upon His Word. Whether you feel saved or not, you declare your faith in His Word. If thou shalt confess the gospel, which is Jesus crucified and raised. Now you say, well, the devil just keeps bothering me, keeps harassing me. That's a good sign. For a thief never has sought to rob a defunct bank. And an army has never stormed an unoccupied fortress. If Satan is harassing you, it's because something significant wants to happen in your life and he wants to nullify it. It's not on the basis of whether you feel saved or not. Has there ever been a point of time where you said, I stand on this word and Jesus said, any man who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out and I'm claiming that word for myself. Now sometimes... We try to overcome a lie with a feeling. The only way to overcome a lie is with the truth. You can't overcome the lie of Satan with a feeling. And sometimes we try to overcome the lie with an experience and we go back and we remember and we bring up the experience. The only way to overcome a lie is with the truth. And this is the truth. You stand on the truth. And I found that the less I depend upon your feeling and my feeling and the less I depend upon your experience and the less I depend upon my experience, the more I depend on this Word. We overcome Him by the declaration of the Word. Finally, we overcome Him by the devotion of our lives. And He said that they love not their life even to death. The Moffat translation has it, and they courted death with their life. Now what he's saying is this, that one thing that is always present in genuine Christianity is that a genuine Christian commits his life in total surrender to the government of the Lord Christ. One thing you noticed about, you can notice about these other Christians is that when they gave their heart to Christ, they surrendered themselves to the government of God and the Lordship of Christ. They submitted their way to the way of God. And they were so submitted to God that they would, rather den- they would rather die than to deny Him. Now you say to me, well, how does that give us victory? Let me illustrate. I'm a citizen of the United States. And I have submitted myself to the government, to the laws of this government. Now there's some things that I would like to do. I don't like to pay income tax. Anybody here like to pay income tax? I don't like to pay that, but I do because I want to live in America. Out of prison, as a matter of fact. That's a, I, I, 
I, I, I pay income tax even though I don't like that because that's the law of this land. I'm a citizen of this government. I don't like to register my car every year and buy tags, but I do pay that so I can use the highways and I can drive my car down the highway. And there's some laws that I don't really like. I don't, you know, really enjoy paying sales tax and state tax, but I do that for the privilege of living here. I rather live here in Texas. They're going to have that one. Right now I had. There are some, there are some laws that you have to, you know. And, and, and Now when I submit myself to the, to the law of the government, you know what happens? Every resource of that government is available to me. Let me tell you something. If for some reason this morning... Gorbachev got mad at me and he sent a missile to America to, to blow up 2022 Live Oak and everybody that's there. If he suddenly pushed a button to send a missile just to blow up my house, you know what would happen? Every resource in America would be armed to prevent that. And the radars would go off and the missiles would get in the air, and the bombers would start, and every resource available in the government of the United States would be armed to prevent that from happening. Now listen to me carefully. When you submit your life to God, I mean when you totally submit your life to God, every resource that God has in heaven is available to you. And that's why the psalmist said, He will not forsake His people because they are His delight. And I tell you, He's bound to keep you and protect you. Now it may mean this morning, it may mean that if you are not submitted to the government of God and you've not yielded your life to the government of God, you're vulnerable to His attack. That is the enemy. And while I was sitting on this platform this morning, He was working on me. And if you're not submitted to His government, to His lordship, to His will, you are vulnerable to Him. That is the enemy. You submit your life to the control and the authority of God, and He makes available to you every resource that's in heaven. Do you believe that? I see one of you does. And so you read over in the book of James, and James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You just take that, and, and, and we claim that, and we leave out the first part of that. The context of that says, watch this carefully, says, submit yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in his time. Then, he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know what he's saying? He's saying you come to that place of absolute submission of your life to God. And you do that. You submit your life to God and to His will. And when you resist the devil, he's gone from you. Because God makes available to you the armies of heaven. And greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Can you go out of here singing this morning? Nothing between my soul and the Savior so that His blessed 
face may be seen. If you can't sing that, if you couldn't sing it when you came, if you can't sing it when you leave, then you're subject to Him and to His assault. And I want to say something in closing. Not many, not some of you may not believe, but I believe it. The Scripture says that he is, like a, he is as a roaring lion. He's active, seeking whom he may completely gulp the Word. I believe he knows your name. And I believe in some way he has a file on every person in this room. And if the book of Daniel is correct and... and and if it is inspired by God, He has assigned sections, maybe streets, to the demonic underworld. And they have a tabulation on you. I believe that with every ounce of my being. And He's not omniscient, but He does have members of the demonic world, and they know your vulnerability, and they know your weakness. And they know your susceptibility. They know your failure. And the only salvation, security, safety is the safety that comes in the resources made available to the totally committed. Now we overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb. Access to the throne for help. And we overcome Him by the declaration of our faith in this book. And we stand on it. And we overcome Him because we surrender our life to His government and His will. And that's the only way you overcome Him. And I can pick up a newspaper today and I can read where some of my colleagues within two hours driving distance of this town have fallen pastors of great churches and Southern Baptist life in Oklahoma. You read the gory details and so have I. I'm almost afraid to read the paper. And one tragedy after another tragedy after another tragedy occurs to the people of God. It doesn't have to be that. doesn't have to be that way. But it will be that way until you submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. And as we learned in our Sunday school class, they went out of Egypt under a high hand. It means that God held up His hand just like a guard at a cross rock. He held up His hand and two million people walked out of Egypt under the high hand of God. You submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. And He flees. 
Let's pray together. Father, let nothing stand between our soul and the Savior so that His blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of His favor. Lord, nothing between. Lord, I pray You'll call us in the magnitude and the seriousness of the warfare that rages in this world between the good and evil, between Satan and the Savior. Call us to repentance. Cause us to see what we need to lay aside, what we need to take up. Help us to flee to the cross and cling by faith to the Word. For I pray in Jesus' name. There are three invitations this morning. There is an invitation for you to come and receive Christ as your Savior. Because of His death at the cross, He made available to you cleansing of His blood, the forgiveness of sin, life eternal. No, no reason for you to be lost, to suffer in hell. No reason for that. I invite you this morning to come and place your life in the church. Or to come this morning repenting of sin, personal sin, coming to the Lord, full submission and surrender to His Lordship, to the protection of His arms and wings. I invite you on the basis of the war and the hope that's in Christ as we stand to sing. I invite you to come.